Uncorked, where we uncork hot topics in occupational therapy and a bottle of wine. I'm your host, Miranda Rennie. This month, we have two great interviews that highlight how OTs can provide holistic treatment for our patients. Earlier this month, I released episode 18 with Rochelle McLaughlin, and we talked about living mindfully. She even led me through a guided mindfulness meditation, which is available wherever you listen to this podcast. The meditation has gotten great feedback, and I've actually gone back and used it myself repeatedly over the past few weeks. So if you missed episode 18 or the meditation, check it out. Today, I have the opportunity to share my interview with Taylor Yanko, a recently graduated OT about her research, which is about chronic low back pain and a more holistic approach to treatment. Because of the coronavirus, many students did not have a platform to share their research and capstone projects with the OT community, so we wanted to give them a chance to share it with us here on OT Uncorked. All right, so let's just jump right into the interview. I go to Gannon University in Erie, PA in the five-year master's OT program. And as you said, I'll be graduating in a few weeks now, I guess, um, which is kind of crazy. Very good. And you guys did some research actually with college students. And Mm. you were looking at low back pain. So why don't, before we get, I have so many questions about that, um, but before we get into some of the nitty gritty of it, can you give us just an overview about what you did and kind of what was the purpose of your project? Yeah. So um, our study, there were three of us that worked together. So it was myself and then my group members, which were Jessica Laser and Samantha Ruiz Bueno. Um, and our advisor was Stephanie Kubiak, who's an OT and a professor at our university. So we actually started out with our starting topic was community approaches for chronic conditions, so which was very broad. So we kind of just dove into the research to see what we could find. And we found that chronic low back pain was really prevalent because it's, I believe, the second most common chronic condition among adults. So we dove into that. And then as we were looking into that, we saw a lot with college students being that like there's not a lot of research about it, but also they're more at risk because of carrying heavy backpacks and the way like we're always like sitting hunched over like a computer. So we were really interested to see like what would come out of that, especially because we were at Gannon. So we had that population kind of available to us to work with. So that's kind of the direction we took with that. So with this population of college students, you brought up some really great points. College students are often carrying really heavy backpacks, working over a laptop, probably not very ergonomically, right? Um, Was there a lot of previous research with this population as you were kind of preparing for your study? There wasn't. We found some studies that looked at different pain factors that that influenced it for college students. Like we found some articles that talked about they found students in the school of medicine to have a higher rate of back pain than any Mm. other students, which was interesting. So there was a lot about the prevalence, but there wasn't really anything that we found concerning like programs done with college students. Like I think there was probably only one because typically the programs for back pain had focused on adults in the community and not necessarily younger adults. Right. That's a lot of the research I've seen as well as for people who are older. Um, But it seems like there'd be a lot of value in this because if people who are in college are most likely preparing for a career and oftentimes those habits can persist over time, 
Would you say there's anything else about this population in particular um, as compared to other populations that have low back pain um, that we should know to kind of contextualize the rest of your research? Um, I think that's pretty much it. I think we mainly looked at just to see what the prevalence was, especially like at our university. And I think we were interested to um, later on in our program, like when we started, we did kind of like a demographic survey to see what majors like the students came from to see if that actually like had any kind of a difference. What did you find? We, it was, it was pretty inconclusive. We had a small sample size, so it was really hard to determine, but three of our participants were OT majors. So that was kind of interesting, but it it did seem like they had a higher rate of back pain than some of our other participants who were from, um, like we had a few that were physician assistant majors and we had an engineering major. So it was kind of interesting to see like the levels, but we weren't really able to get any significant data from that. Sure. What would be kind of some of the speculations? Obviously, this part would be not what you're reporting in your study, but um, what were some of sort of the hypotheses your group was coming up with about why different majors might have different prevalence of low back pain? We talked a lot about how students in the School of Medicine, how we're doing more like with maybe like transferring patients, like, you know, more like clinical hours versus maybe someone who is like a business major that like does most of their work like at a desk. So we talked a lot about that. I think one of the studies we found actually talked about there may be a correlation between clinical hours and like the rate of back pain, just based on like if they're doing like transfers and everything appropriately. I'm curious if you, in just in conversation with some of these participants or even in your own experience as a student, if some of these academic programs actually address student wellness and maybe actually address some of this, um, some of these health concerns as part of their program. Mm-hmm. I feel like our university at Gannon, I think Gannon does a good job at addressing student wellness. Like it's talked about a lot, like in our different like seminars that we have to take. So I think our university does a great job at kind of like talking about that, but I'm not sure how other colleges are addressing it, you know, so I think it's something definitely to consider. So it's possible that some of these healthier, you know, postures and ergonomic setups might be something that they're talking about at some point in the program, but there's still prevalence of low back pain. Is that what you were observing? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. So then the main purpose of your project was to create some intervention for these students, right, who are experiencing low back pain. How did you come to the conclusion that you did and to kind of move forward um, with your intervention? Yeah, so it was really kind of tough at first because there was so much in the research. So a lot of it was kind of just like wading through everything and like seeing what interventions there were, because currently there's not really a gold standard standard for chronic low back pain. So we kind of just took things as we found them and we settled on a few different things. We found that community programs were really beneficial because the research shows that people with pain conditions are participating in the community less Mm -hmm. than before they were diagnosed or before they had pain. So we wanted to structure it like a community group. Um, We also found a lot of good evidence for yoga So we wanted to incorporate some kind of physical 
um, intervention. So we decided on doing yoga versus maybe like a, we found some stuff with like Pilates and other stuff. And we were like, that's just a little bit too much. So we decided on yoga. And then we did find some research concerning education for chronic low back pain. But a lot of the studies that we found only had like one or two education sessions. So we were kind of curious to see how like an kind of an extended education program could affect these things. And then we also were thinking, you know, as OTs, like our, one of our main things is education. Like we educate clients on like better ways to do things on like how they can do things differently. So we felt that an OT education program could be beneficial. So we eventually decided on doing a five week program and we recruited a yoga instructor from Gannon's Recreation Center that actually we found out as we were interviewing her that she has done a few workshops to specialize in the low back. Um, so that was really helpful. So we did each session, we had a 60 minute yoga session and then we had a 30 minute education session that we led and had some interactive things, had some discussion. Yeah. So definitely providing more of that holistic approach. So you were, you were giving them that physical intervention, but also helping them hopefully apply some more strategies to their life outside of that yoga session. Yeah. I'm curious when you were going through the literature and reading that they were providing education to people who have low back pain, how specific were they about the type of education and the materials and methods of education? And did you find that really helpful or were you actually kind of more confused about what they did? Um, it was kind of vague. Um, they did talk about general topics that they discussed, so like body mechanics and like um, a lot of it was physical techniques to manage pain symptoms, but it was very vague as in like how they instructed the clients, like what they did. So I think we kind of just took that and kind of ran with it and we were like, okay, like how can we make this like really effective? So we kind of did, you know, we, we started out with like a presentation and then we had some handouts and we had some interactive components. Like one week we talked about coping skills. So we had a little like vision board workshop and, um, we had like all of the participants like do the, the correct body mechanics and really so that they could get like the full benefit of it and like know how to implement it in their daily life. Mm. Yeah. I do find that sometimes articles that have really good results even um, aren't always, they don't always have the room to publish, right? There's publication limitations. They don't always have the room to publish all of the detailed methods. And sometimes there's supplements and oftentimes, unfortunately, there's not. So were you finding that, that with that, when you were creating your program, you didn't really have a protocol or a manual to go off of. You really had to kind of create it based on some of that vague information and your own knowledge. Yeah, we really kind of created this program just kind of from the bottom up. You know, we like found in the research, like we settled on like our five topics for education based on what we found would be helpful and like what we knew about chronic low back pain. So we, our five topics we focused on were body mechanics, techniques to manage pain, like physically, so like heating pads. And we got like some bio-free samples and like that kind of stuff. Um, we did coping skills the third week. And then the fourth week we did adaptations. So we did like using like book stands and like doing like supports in your shoes and that kind of stuff. And then our last week we did community support and resources. As you were going through this with the participants and how many participants did you have? 
we started out our first week we had six and then we had two that dropped out after the first week so but then we had our four consistent participants in the during the rest of the program okay so as you were going through this program with the four participants it sounds like you tried quite a few different methods of education so some of that more active um, workshop and kinesthetic component um, presentations handouts just even from your observations what were some of the teaching tools that you felt were the most effective or, or were the most engaging with the participants? Um, I think really like the interactive parts were what really kind of drove it home for them. And we also, after we did like, cause we started with our presentation and we actually sent them the presentation materials after each session so that they would have access to it to refer back to, cause we had resources on the slides for them. Mm -hmm. So, but I think the interactive components was like what really got them talking and got them thinking like, wow, this could really help. Um, and I think overall, like we had a lot of great discussions with the participants and they really found benefits from like what we were doing and what they were learning. Did you find that they were um, maybe surprised by some pieces of advice that to you now as a soon to be official OT, you know, are, is kind of like second nature to you. Um, I'm always curious to hear that. I think we learn so much and we integrate it and it becomes common knowledge for us and then we share it and people are blown away. Did you have that experience? Yeah, I think some of it honestly too was kind of surprising for us. <laughs> it's like good like reminders for us because we started this um, two years ago now. So mm -hmm. it's been like kind of a two year long thing. So when we were developing the education, it was, I think it was good reminders for us too about like body mechanics and things that like you don't really notice that you're doing. So I definitely think a lot of the information was surprising for them. And I think when we talked about like adaptations, just even like simple things, just you don't really think about like, oh, I could do this a different way that won't hurt my back as much. So yeah, I think it was definitely kind of surprising for them learning everything. Of all the different topics you mentioned, kind of how you broke down those five weeks, was there any week in particular or any kind of broad topic that you felt was kind of the, the top, I guess, the week, the week that you felt like they got the most out of it or had the most kind of like eureka moments where they finally figured out what could help? I think honestly, our fifth week was like our last week was that like kind of like bringing it all together because our goal for that last week was to talk about like what their goals were like moving forward and to give them the resources to continue the yoga and to continue like any of the things we mentioned like after the program so that really felt like that was like the big like tie-in where they brought it all together and they were like you know everyone was really interested in continuing what they learned in the program so i think for us as researchers and as like future ot's like that felt like amazing to know that that they really found those benefits like so much and they wanted to continue that. Mm. It's so validating, right? That we have knowledge that's important for people and we can actually see the impact on their lives. I think that's one of the most rewarding parts of the job. So for sure. If you had to do it all again, what would you do differently? We had a few, like definitely had a few like mix ups. We, um, our assessment that we did at the beginning and the end of the program, it was printed front and back. So we actually found out after we did our last session that some of the participants only filled out the front and didn't fill out the oh, back. No. So <laughs> just like something so little like that, but we didn't even really think about it. So we were only able to use like the first um, half of the sections on the assessment, which we still got information, but 
you know, we definitely would have had more to work with if, you know, so I think little things like that. Um, but in general, I think we structured the program well. I liked how it was structured. And if we could have had it for longer, I think that there maybe would have been more benefits to it. We might have had like more significant results, but I think we did like well with what we worked with. But I think if we were to redo it, I definitely would probably make it longer. And that is one of the benefits, though, of having a small sample size is that you're working with four people by the end of it, and you could really try out a few different methods, kind of figure out what's going to be the best approach. And that way, if you ever want to repeat it with a larger group, again, some of those little mistakes are or just kind of oversights, like the having the two sides of it. We've all done something like that before. Yeah. And just learning it with a smaller sample size is is awesome because then the next time you go to implement a study, it's those little things that can make a big difference when you have 50 people who didn't fill out the second half of the sheet, right? Mm-hmm. Speaking of that assessment, though, um, what assessments did you use um, to kind of measure the effectiveness for these individuals? We, um, I talked a little bit about, we made a demographic survey. We kind of just like drew that up from scratch, just like what we kind of wanted to gather. So we just did like major class standing. Um, we did history of back pain. So how long they had remembered they had been experiencing it. And then we did some of the past treatments that they've tried so that we really kind of designed on our own and just to gather information and assess like some frequency for that. Um, and then we used the Oswestry Disability Index, which specifically looks at pain in the low back. That was our pre and post intervention questionnaire. And then we did the universal pain assessment tool. So just like that one through 10 pain rating. And we did that at the beginning and the end of each session to kind of assess if there was a change from like the beginning to the end of the session. And then like ultimately through the program. Mm And I understand that with four participants, you can't necessarily um, have as significant of results. However, from what you observed and just from the score increases, even from person to person or score changes, I should say, what did you notice? Did, did the sessions help? Um, kind of what were the individual outcomes? Yeah, for most of our, our scores, they all pretty much either stayed the same or went down. We had a lot of participants that at the end of the sessions would rate their pain as a zero. Um, So that was pretty interesting to see, even though it wasn't significant. I definitely think if it were repeated with a larger group, there might be some significance there. Mm -hmm. So the one question like we weren't really sure about, though, was because we weren't able to have a control group if the OT education was more beneficial, if the yoga was more beneficial. So but I think it was definitely interesting to see that all for the most part, pain scores all went down or stayed the same. Yeah. From maybe a more subjective perspective, what do you feel like your participants valued the most? So were they seeing that the yoga was really effective or was it carrying some of these strategies into their real life? Did you get a sense of that from just their, you know, just conversationally? I think it was a little bit of both. Honestly, I, um, I know a lot of them talked about going home and doing some of the yoga poses that our instructor had showed them and like you know when they were really having a lot of pain and it was helping and then sometimes they would come back in the next week and say oh I tried this thing that we talked about at home and it's been helping so I think it was a little bit of both which was kind of cool to see that it was both impactful for them. As this experience developed over two years you said right Mm -hmm. Um, and how this has just been an area of interest for you and your group how do you think 
yeah, this whole process has influenced your growth and development as a therapist or future therapist? Yeah, I think it's given me a lot more comfort in leading community groups. I think it's given me like kind of an interest in doing that. And I think it's given me more of a passion for OT's role in chronic pain, because I think that's still kind of developing. So I definitely think that's something I would be interested in in the future. Just kind of exploring that more and like putting that into my practice in different ways. Yeah. And, and with that community group component, there's a lot of dynamics to manage. That's why we take whole courses on group dynamics in OT school. How do you feel that your communication skills or maybe your just ability to manage a group improved through this process? I think it, it was good because we had a good group of people, but I think it, you know, it really helped me to be more comfortable with like, you know, because we had to emphasize, you know, it's important that you're here every week because if you're not here, you're missing out on things. So I think like having sometimes tough conversations, but also being able to lead a group and develop a therapeutic relationship with the participants, mm -hmm. you know, I think it all really helped me be more comfortable and be more ready to lead a group. That's huge. That's awesome. And just being able to even have those tough conversations is so important in that relationship development process, because in the clinic, especially if you work in outpatient where the uh, patients have a choice of whether they want to show up or not. I know that was really important when I was working in outpatient as well too, or in community programs um, to just build that rapport and also be able to communicate maybe kind of like harsh truths. Like if you, if you don't show up, you're, you're probably not going to benefit from the group. Um, that's super important to be able to communicate. So it sounds like you got really great experience with that. Were there any other things that were more challenging than you expected them to be? You've mentioned a couple kind of along the way. Um, I think we experienced just like, which was, it was a good experience, but I think getting the group to actually like run, like we had to, you know, jump through a lot of hoops um, with the recreation center. Like there was like a period of like two months where like we didn't hear anything from them at all. We were like, listen, like we need like a space to like do this. And then they finally got back to us and they were like, oh, we only have like this one little like side room available. So I think a lot of it was adapting and you know, making things work. And I think a lot of it was like giving us the experience of if you're going to run a community group and you need the space and you need to like get the word out and put flyers everywhere and recruit people like what it really would look like. So I think that was a really great experience for us, even though it was challenging at times. The logistics of coordinating these studies is um, quite demanding. So and you're right. And when it involves other people and other organizations, having that time I think you brought up a really good point. I mean, you probably weren't expecting to wait two months to hear back about a room, but that's just a reality of doing community programming and that there's going to be a lot of logistics to manage. So that's really good experience and just a good reminder for anyone listening who, who wants to coordinate community groups, that there is kind of a lot of that back work that um, can take a while, but is crucial to making it happen. And I think it also definitely helped us get comfortable, like going back to like communication, like when we were there, like, and the staff from the recreation center would like help us like get the room set up. Like they weren't always like the most pleased that, that we were there and they always forgot that we were coming and we were having our program. So it was kind of every week seemed like more of that, like giving us practice with that, like communication, like, Hey, like we're doing this and kind of advocating for why we were there and why it was important. So. Mm -hmm. 
What do you think is the most exciting part of this for you moving forward as someone who's going to graduate in a few weeks and is probably looking at jobs already, potentially? Um, what do you think is sort of the biggest takeaway um, for you or the thing you're most excited about applying in your own practice? I think for me, like I said, I am very passionate about um, chronic pain and chronic illnesses. Mm -hmm. I think that at least in our our current health world, I don't think that we address chronic pain enough. I think that there is so much more that can be done. And I really um, like all the research that is coming out about holistic treatments for chronic pain. And that excites me to know that like there are things coming up that can be really helpful for people because there are so many people that experience this. So I definitely think that's something that I want to address in my practice. And I would love to do like community groups with chronic pain. Like that's always been something I've been passionate about. So that makes me really excited to see like what the future has for chronic pain research and where OT can go. Yeah. And what role you can play in it. Well, Taylor, this has been really interesting. Um, excited to hear about um, kind of what you end up doing with supporting clients with chronic pain. Um, I think we have a, a lot more to learn in that department, but I think you're absolutely right that OTs can have a, a really important role in that. Um, so as we kind of close out, I'm wondering if you have any book recommendations for our listeners. I love to read. So I always ask participants, um, now I'm talking research participants. So I always ask guests um, if they have anything that they would recommend that we read. Yeah. So I still have been actually on the lookout for some good books on chronic pain. It's been kind of hard to, you know, find something really like that dives into it. Um, but I did read The Body Keeps the Score. And that was really interesting to kind of see how the body manifests trauma and if there may be a link between that and chronic pain. So that was definitely an interesting read. Yeah, we've heard that recommendation. So I think that just needs to get boosted up on the reading list and I'll have to take a look at that. Um, I definitely think that could be a relevance to occupational therapy practitioners for sure as people come to us and often share about what they're feeling and experiencing. And then they often tell us that other practitioners are not hearing them, uh, maybe aren't believing them, the manifestations of their, like you said, of their trauma, of their pain, of a whole host of, of issues they might be facing. So I think that could be really key for us to, to read and understand a little bit more about so we can really um, believe our patients, first of all, which I think we should do anyway, but believe them and then also help them come up with alternatives. So mm -hmm. it's a good recommendation. And Taylor, if people would like to reach out to you with questions or comments or learn more about your research, how can they contact you? Yeah, um, I welcome any questions or comments in my email. Taylor Jean, Jean is J-E-A-N, 1134 at gmail.com. Great. Thank you so much, Taylor. And we really appreciate you being on the show and sharing your research with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Today, I am drinking a wine from Castello de Amorosa, a winery in Napa Valley, California. Now, I typically try to find a common theme between the wine and the topic of conversation in the interview, but I'm going to be totally honest, I did not do that today. I chose this wine because 
A few days before quarantine started, I was actually up in Napa and had the opportunity to visit this beautiful winery. And it's, as the name would suggest, it is a castle that was built recently in the past few years, but you feel like you are walking through a medieval castle in Italy. It is absolutely incredible. I would highly recommend it to anyone who goes. And having that be sort of my last outing before I came back to Southern California and went into quarantine when the coronavirus started, um, that just holds it now a very special place in my heart. So I loved my time there. I keep thinking about it and would love to go back. So I chose a wine today from there just as a bit of reminiscence in quarantine. The specific wine is a Sangiovese, which is a wine that's really kind of a different, it's still a red because you know, that's me, but it has really good spice and fruit to it. It was very refreshing. Um, the friends that we went with don't actually typically like red wines, and this was something that we all kind of had this common ground around. Um, we all really enjoyed it, so I would highly recommend, if after this is all over, you're up in the Napa area, definitely check out this winery. So it was a pleasure talking with Taylor today, and I hope you took away some good recommendations for implementing your own community-based group. I have a feeling that once we are back and able to gather with others again, people will be craving those meaningful community-based groups and OT practitioners will be there ready to meet that need. So thanks again for listening to OT Uncorked. You can find us on social media at OT Uncorked and online at otuncorked.com. And until next time, cheers. Cheers.